Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. I hope that your March is off to a good start and that you're doing pretty good. That, you know, making it through this craziness of life right now. Um, I am really excited to tie up this last, I guess, a whole conversation that we've been having about companion planting. I mean, we spent basically over a month. I had a little bit of a break there that I didn't anticipate talking about companion planting. And at the end of it, I wanted to just tie it up with this Q&A sort of thing. I decided to make it where we specifically ask about issues that we had from previous growing years. And then we kind of can solve them through talking about companion planting and interplanting and utilize some of these ideas that we've been talking about and putting them into action. And so then we can utilize this information to help ourselves better design our garden this year to maybe avoid some of these issues. And you guys submitted a host of ideas. And so I chose the ones that were most common and most popular amongst the list. And honestly, it was really fun. Like I love solving problems using plants and I really love hearing what you guys are struggling with and then turning it into action. So if you want to understand more and you've listened to the past podcast or not, I have them all listed in the show notes, but don't forget you can get all the help you could possibly want, including the expanded companion planting chart that I've put together with lots of research and my own experiences in my own garden. You can get all of it either in the e-course where I teach you how to implement this into your garden exactly. And I show you through demonstrations and give you even garden designs that you can utilize yourself or work off of, or you can actually... (laughs) 
purchase just the kit of tools as a great resource as well. So I have those in the show notes as well. But I also want to highlight that in a few weeks, beginning with the first day of spring, we are going to be opening up the community again. And this is also a great place where we talk about companion planting. We talk about solving pest problems. We talk about everything and we can do it from zone specific issues all the way into just a wide open conversation. And as a reminder, the platform is not on any social media. It is on its own platform that I manage and I run and every single person that uses it in our community really enjoys it. It even has an app for your phone. It is wonderful. So if you're out in your garden and you're like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm struggling with this, you will get the most supportive group of people (laughs) coming to your side to help you. Not only that, we have amazing learning opportunities, discounts in the shop, all sorts of things that are open to you, depending on if you will choose our new subscription model, which will just be able to access the community option, or if you want to dig deeper into a wonderful experience of digging into learning more, to expanding your knowledge, and really getting into gardening. Whatever it is that's right for you, there is an option, and you can join at any point after spring indefinitely. We will not be closing for seasons anymore. It is now fully open all the time. So if you are wondering about how to solve some of these problems, look for an email coming out with more information or until then you can sign up for our email. So you're one of the first people to know when it opens. We have an amazing group of people already in there and I can't wait for you to interact with them. All that to say, this is a common conversation that we are having in the community and I love that we get to talk about it here too. So we're going to jump right into it because we've got some really awesome things that people have been struggling with in the last year And we're going to solve those problems so that we can design properly to avoid them or minimize them utilizing natural methods in our gardens with companion plants. And yes, the companion plants can solve and play a massive part in deterring or eliminating these problems altogether. These are things that I myself have dealt with in the garden. And so I have tried a lot of different things. I'm also utilizing information that I have learned from our community members with them trying things, also the benefit of a community. So if you guys are ready, let's jump in. So first of all, the first one that you guys gave me was powdery mildew. I bet every single one of us can raise our hand and say, oh yeah, I have dealt with this. (laughs) So there's a lot of reasons we get pelt of powdery mildew. First of all, we could do a whole episode on this. And I say powdery mildew is basically unavoidable in the garden, but we can lower its um, ability to overtake. It is sort of like I guess if you took it into pandemic terms, it's sort of like we know ways now to mitigate this and um, we can create (laughs) environments that are less conducive to making it spread. I guess that's the best way to talk about it since we're all used to pandemic terminology now. But um, And uh, spreading of diseases because basically powdery mildew is a fungus. It is a disease in high terms, but and it can reside in your soil for a long time. It can pass from plant to plant. There is no way you can fully, if you've gotten it before, you probably will get it again, but we can think about minimizing it through actually using companion planting and 
there's other ways. And I'll get to that in a minute. So first of all, there's certain plants that are more susceptible to this. And that's the important thing to know. And this is where companion planting really shows its legs is that we can, if we can understand what plants are susceptible to a disease, then we can understand how to basically lower the chances of it spreading. So cantaloupes, cucumber, melons, peas, pumpkins, squash, mainly think about any of these plants that have large leaves. I think usually I even get it sometimes on my zinnias. There's lots of plants that easily can get powdery mildew. And a lot of this can come from watering and sun exposure and not getting enough time to dry out. So this is why a lot of people utilize drip lines is to lower the water so it's not coming down. And obviously, if you live in an area where you get a lot of rain and you're not getting enough sun, enough time to dry out, getting powdery mildew is basically going to just be a part of your growing in your garden. So, but what we can do is we can pair plants that are less susceptible and more susceptible together. So some of the plants that are really good at preventing this, and you're going to hear this over and over and over again, chives and onions, onions and garlic, alliums, that's what they're called. They are just as powerful in our garden as a companion plant as miracles are. Okay. So I just want you guys to hear that now (laughs) and they are wonderful. So what we want to do is we want to spread out these plants that are more susceptible. So, you know, if you're planning on growing an arch with, you know, cucumbers on it this year, that's totally fine. But maybe at the base also grow some onions, some nasturtium, some other things as well that are going to be repellent and not as susceptible to the powdery mildew itself. One other thing we can do to help the spread too from a gardener part of the system, part of that companion model is because we are part of the companion model is we can actually trim and eliminate the leaves that have already been damaged by the powdery mildew. The moment we see it pop up, we can eliminate it by just trimming those leaves off and disposing them. I highly suggest not putting them in your compost pile, but either you can, you know, dig a hole, burn them, whatever you want to do, but just eliminate it more or less. And then you can also use baking soda as another natural way to deter the growth of it. You want to just put it into a, some water and spray it on with like, you know, a spray bottle and spray it onto your plants regularly, uh, that's a good way to avoid it as well. So we can utilize taking these plants and putting them near these other plants and then also utilizing these other things that we as ourself as the third, or I guess and if we think about the three sisters model, Native Americans saw that as humans, we were the fourth sister involved in the three sisters model. So I like to think about myself as just as much of a key part of that ecosystem of working together in our garden. And you should too. You're a key part of that. So you can act as one of those plants that is helpful to these other plants because you are not susceptible to powdery mildew. (laughs) Um, even if your garden feels like it is. (laughs) So the other thing is, is you just want to make sure that you are, if you had plants that have powdery mildew, do not compost them. You want to eliminate them out of the cycle and system because it can continue to live on in the soil quietly. Uh, it, and then what, if you had it there, plant resistant plants. And so you can go online and like Google, like 
resistant plants to powdery mildew. You can also get varieties of like zucchini and squashes and pumpkins and cucumbers that are more resistant because of like genetic modification. You can find those varieties. So in, you know, it's just whatever you feel comfortable with and what works for you. Okay. So next I'm going to put these two together. Well, I was going to, but you know what? No, I'm not going to, because there's too many differences. Rodents, AKA mice, rats, things like that. They are in our garden. I won't lie to you. We have a chicken coop. We have a compost pile. These two things naturally bring in rodents. End of story. It's how our chickens got um, lice. It's how they've gotten all those things. So it's very normal to have rodents in your garden. And I will say that I will be in the garden last year. I it, it, They particularly love our beans. I interplant in the garden I'll do beans because they love beans. And then I'll put in marigolds and garlic and rosemary and other herbs interplanted amongst the beans. So a row of beans, a row of marigolds and all these herbs and onions together and interplanted around all of this. So that's what I want you guys to think about is we're not just doing like a row of marigolds, a row of beans, a row of beans and a row of marigolds or whatever. No, when I, I'll do a row of beans and then it's like one marigold, five onions, another marigold, some rosemary, like down that next row. And what we're doing is we're creating a less exciting and inviting environment for the mice. So they may come in and I've seen them scurry through and they'll sit in the beans and and everything, but I have not seen, like last year I was like, okay, we're just going to lose our beans and mice are, I see a lot of them. I never lost any beans. They were some of our best beans we ever grew. So it is possible to deter mice. Now, if you're concerned about mice, like with your seedlings and things like that, you may want to utilize some cloches and covers earlier in the season, because this is the tricky part when we talk about spring is we're going to be struggling with these pests that have been very hungry and now they're coming out and how do we protect them when some of the protectors aren't currently available? Well, I like to think too about like, for instance, sage is one of the plants that you can put with your, with beans or anything like that. Um, actually I'm not 100% sure, but I think it is. There's like some aromatic herbs that don't do too well with the beans. But if you have plants that are being eaten by the mice, there are some of these that are come back year after year, such as lavender, peppermint, onions, things like that, garlic that would be already in the garden in the spring. So, and chives, things like that. So if you have young plants you're putting out, make sure that they're by these plants that are already established and already there. So this is a good way to prevent that. And where like having some perennial plants or plants that you're coming back to are already there. So one of the things that I love because onions are so powerful in the garden, and we're going to talk a little more about this when we get to the um, brassicas and cabbage moths is is utilizing onions that are pre-sprouted from our from our pantry. Usually they start sprouting and you can even do this with garlic too. I've tried it. You just put it into the garden. You're like, what? Are you crazy? No, seriously, it works and you get a beautiful blossom. You get a beautiful bloom and it acts as the great protector in your garden. I plant I, I literally go to the grocery store and look for the onions that are starting to sprout. And usually 
most grocery stores think that you made a mistake and they'll just give them to you for free. So, or just tell your friends like, Hey, if you have any onions or garlic that's starting to sprout, like, let me know, I'll take it from you because these are really, really important in these early crops that are going to be eaten by rodents and rabbits and things like that to act as a massive protector in your garden. You can't have marigolds. You can't have these other things. We do have garlic and onions and they love the cold weather. So they are really happy to start growing. And you're going to get this amazing, cool, like Dr. Seuss level blossom in like late July, which is really cool. So it's one of my favorite tricks in the garden (laughs) that I haven't really talked about, but, um, when you're integrating these things. So one of the things that I want you guys to think about with rodents, and we'll talk about this a little bit with rabbits too, is that we, even though those things are there, we don't just want to integrate them as like a perimeter. Like I see a lot of people that will just do like a marigold or, and, and, or lavender perimeter. I don't think this is a bad idea, but what I think is that what we're doing is we're saying, here's your barrier. You have to get through, you get through that. You got the lay of the land. Instead, we want to make sure that when they get in there, there is just, they can't figure out where the clumps of the good stuff is. They're so confused by all the scents and all the things going on that they may scurry through there, but they are not going to stay because they can't figure out where the safe places are. So I, this is where integrating these plants together, interplanting and avoiding just the common row by row by row is really, really important. So this is where we can go really right with companion planting or just really miss the mark. And I'm telling you right now, we got to be confident enough to intermix these things because they do better together than we think they will. So this is why too, like mice and rodents were really big with the um, Native Americans and as well, they were planting in fields in North America and they, you know, had these issues too. And they were growing some of the mice favorite plants, such as like corn, beans, squashes, um, potatoes, zucchini, turnips, all these things. They were growing those. And once they had the tools of garlic and onions and marigolds, they started to interplay these into this model and had way less issues. So I think once again, we can look to what the Native Americans have done and we can apply this. And they didn't just make a perimeter. They interplanted these things amongst the other plants. Okay. So let's take note and we'll move forward with it. Okay. Next one. It's a really big one. Um, I don't know anyone that avoids these in their garden, especially in the Midwest, uh, but we can deter them or lessen their uh, damage, I guess. Japanese beetles. Have you ever dealt with them? They are, I despise them in the garden, not because of the damage they do. Oddly, it is just, I don't like it when they land on me. I'm not an anti-bug person. There's a lot of bugs that I'm okay with. I just deal with them. I garden all the time, but there's something about Japanese beetles that just like cringes me. I don't know why, but man, they are June bugs, Japanese beetles, however you want to, whatever you want to call them. They are just intense. And, but they have a limited amount of time. They are not around all summer. They do what they need to do and then they get done. And that's something to understand about a lot of bugs that we have in the garden is that they have a short window that feels like forever, but it's not. Uh, but 
Once again, we can interplant, deter them, create environments that are not exactly ideal to them because of things being around that they don't like. And many of these are things such as catnip, chives, garlic, you hear? Alliums again, they're powerful tools. Laxpur, which is a flower, leeks, marigold, once again, nasturtium, white geranium, rue, and tansy, which those last two are herbs. So these are really key. Now, the other key is, and this is where, once again, this gives legs to companion planting that go beyond just understanding what plants go with what plants. We can go a little bit further and understand that when we interplant things such as tons of flowers and berry bushes and grapes and all these things that things like birds love, things with seeds and understanding what your native birds like and bringing those in and around to your landscape and gardening space will eliminate as the beetles being just overtaking your space. So you don't have to necessarily use bird feeders and they're actually kind of deterring that this year with avian flu, but you can bring in guard, like these other plants around your garden or in your garden to bring in birds because birds will eat the Japanese beetles. So if you have the right predator coming in, you'll have a lowering of the pest. Does that make sense? So sometimes when we're thinking about our companion plants, we want to also think about what brings in that predator of that pest, you know? So this is really important to think about. Okay. So the next one is one of my favorites to talk about. I'm so glad somebody asked this one. Squash vine borers. Actually, like four people asked this one. (laughs) Um, The next two are definitely my favorite to talk about. So squash vine borers are, in case you didn't know, they are basically every gardener's worst nightmare. They come in unknowingly to your garden, usually in the evening, and they they're this moth sort of bug, I guess. I don't know what they technically are determined. I think they are a moth. And they have like red on them. You'll notice them. Well, what they do is they come in and they lay their eggs right at the base by the soil or at the crook of a leaf coming up on your cucuberance. Sorry, I'm going to say that wrong. I I don't like that word. (laughs) Um, Basically your zucchini, your pumpkins, your cucumbers, things like that. They're going to they're going to attack them. And then what happens is the egg hatches, it digs a very tiny hole into your plant and then starts eating it from the inside out. Yeah. It's like your plant's dying. I don't know why, what's going on. And you look at the very base and you'll see this like white scummy stuff. And if you open it up with a little knife, you will without a doubt find the most disgusting grub-like looking caterpillar. It's very gross you can get rid of them that way, tweeze them out, feed them to your chickens or whatever you want to do with them. And then bury that area and maybe the plant will heal. Maybe it won't. I've had success on both ends, but, or I've had success and failures, but needless to say, that is what a squash vine borer is. Now there's a couple things we can do and we don't need to use anything terrible we can do this all naturally, but it's all about observation. But first of all, you can pair certain plants that will deter them, such as mint, basil, onions, and parsley. 
So that is the first thing that you want to do is make sure you have those. The next thing I highly suggest is do not, hear me out, do not plant your zucchini and pumpkins in that same week that you plant your tomatoes and everything else. Hold off on these guys. Trust me here. They turn around very quickly. So they should really shouldn't be planted in June or the first week of June. They really need to be planted, you know, closer to July anyways, because their maturity is usually somewhere between 45 to 60 days. And a lot of them will handle a little bit more cold than say a tomato plant will or a pepper plant. So you can actually let them be planted a little later. And here's why. So we can actually avoid the squash vine borer because once again, this has a narrow window of growing or doing its work. It wants to come in, it wants to lay its egg, and then it's gone. So we don't really have these issues later in the season. This is an early summer thing. And so, because remember, summer starts June 20th, something. So this is a very early summer bug. And so what I do suggest doing is planting one to two squash plants of any kind, whatever you want to do, put them out as seedlings, put them in your garden and observe them daily. Did they get check for eggs regularly? You'll find them down, like I said, by the soil and watch, observe, observe, observe. And when you find them, leave them. Okay. And continue to look for the bug as well. Eventually by, for me, I find it the 4th of July week, you're good. You're in the clear, either putting seeds in the ground mid-June or putting out seedlings in early July. You will have most likely avoided the worst of the squash vine borer. And bonus, you could also cover them for another week until they start producing flowers, which would probably be by mid-July. And by then you're really in the clear. So this isn't just something that you need to use a companion plant for. You can use the companion plant. And I also highly suggest that because it's going to all those companion plants, mint and basil, you could plant out the week, you know, you do it with your tomatoes basically. So you could plant it out wherever you're planning to put your zucchini and then, you know, leave it there until, you know, whenever, but you would also have mint and parsley. You can have par mint in a pot next to where you're going to have your zucchini or any of your cucumber and cucumber and sorry, I cannot say that word. And Parsley is one of those that is biannual, so it's usually already in the ground. Your onions, you can take one of those from the pantry, stick it in there, or you can grow green onions or whatever other kind of onion nearby. And then you got all those little buddies around, plus you planted a little later. I'm telling you, friends, it's the best way to go. I've tried it and I can attest it works. Okay. Now, on to cabbage moss. This is a lot. I know it's a lot of information, but I think all of you are going to love all these ideas. So, cabbage moss. They're like basically the first thing we see flying around outside uh, that looks like a butterfly. My kids are like, oh my gosh, look, it's a butterfly and it's a cabbage moth. And it's usually the end of April, beginning of May. I see the first one. And this is also usually when I've already planted out my kale and my cabbage. Oh, yay. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> well, good news. Onions and garlic, my friends. The alliums win again. And in fact, it isn't just, I can't even tell you how well this works. If you have ever had cabbage moss, they attack any brassica. So cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, you name it, turnips even, kohlrabi, 
any of them, they're going to love them and they're going to want them collards. I could keep going. Okay. But our onions, garlic, green onions, chives, leeks, these are, are our powerhouse protectors. Okay. Particularly with cabbage moss. And I can tell you without a doubt that this combination doesn't just work. It is like kryptonite in the garden. And I have tried it so many times and I can say over and over again, it's as good as borages with tomatoes. Okay. So plant these two together and you may be thinking, okay, but Megan, I put out my kale in like, gosh, I put it out so early. What am I going to do? Remember those pantry onions I was telling you about? They're already sprouted. They're already ready to go. Or you can do this. One of the other things that I like to do is to, if you want to think in rows, you can think in rows in this situation. So you're going to plant your garlic out in the fall and you put that in, but leave space in between enough for your brassica plants, your Napa cabbage, your kale, your bok choy, whatever it may be that usually gets attacked. Actually, bok choy doesn't usually have many problems, but I have had problems with it. So you can put those in between. So seed them directly in the spring or put out starts, depending on what you're going to do. And you should be good, truly. Like it does make a significant difference. The other thing is, is green onions do really well early in the spring. Or if you have a chive plant, just interplay these plants together. And there was one year I, this is how I figured it out. Let me tell you. So I had just randomly purchased a red cabbage start at the um, farmer's market. I was like, oh, this is going to be such a beautiful plant. I'm so excited that I had never really grown cabbage. I'd grown kale, but I, I only really grew um, red Russian kale because I figured out that that was like one strain that really did well. It was pretty resistant to cabbage moss. Well, I grew that thing and it was just full of cabbage moss. Like it was just like a massive trap. And I was like, oh my God. So the next year I was like, okay, how am I going to avoid this? I started reading a lot and I came upon the onion allium combo with brassicas. I was like, I'll give it a try. Like, you know, let's try this. So that year I interplanted, I did my garlic and then I put my cabbage and kale and all these things interplaying. And then I eventually added marigolds as we went. And as the garlic went and the onions went, the cabbage and kale were still going strong. And it was just this beautiful array of color and textures and all of it did so well. It was so happy together. My collard plant was ginormous. And in fact, I even left my green onions to just keep going. But as protectors around it, I didn't even harvest them. It it worked so well. Okay. So just do that. And there's so many ways to interplay these together. And the textures really are wonderful. Okay. So our last one is rabbits. And I want to tell you that Rabbits are one of the most like common ideas of a garden pest outside of deer. But I personally am frequently gardening and a bunny runs out of the garden or we affectionately call our bunnies hazel. I don't know why. It's just, we have very, we have hundreds of bunnies. We live in a field and woods, like they're everywhere. And so to say that we're going to avoid them is like I don't even know. It's just crazy to think of. So they are incredibly common. And I sat on my porch and watched them just like going through the garden 
before many times. So they're there. Let me tell you, but I've yet to see much more than nibble here and there. We've lost a couple Swiss chards that didn't, that were kind of loners. Um, they got totally taken advantage of, but that's really about it. And I think it comes down to that interplanting idea. We're creating non-inviting spaces for these rabbits because they don't know what's good and what's bad. And instead, what I have found is when I do this properly and I know I've done it properly, when the rabbit no longer becomes a predator in the garden and becomes a tool in the garden. Hear me out. So what I have found, and I've, this is what I've observed with my own two eyes in the garden, is that when I interplant the proper things amongst the rest of my other plants that are more susceptible and exciting to rabbits, they instead start eating the weeds in the garden, the purslane, the, you know, the grasses, the, you know, all the things that are there that we consider a weed to us because they're not what we want in that section or the clover or whatever. They eat those things, which none of those things are actually weeds. They're just uninvited guests, so to speak. Um, (laughs) that's what I like to think of weeds as. So they can actually help me if I do things properly. So like, for instance, I figured this out because I was sitting there, I was watching the garden and I saw this rabbit come in and I was like, oh no, what are they going to eat? It was right by my dahlias and some other flowers, my zinnias and sunflowers. I was like, oh God, what am I going to lose right now? No, they sniffed right past him and went in and, you know, did his business. And then he went in and was eating all the nasty grasses that drive me crazy. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And sure enough, I will find rabbit poop all over in the garden all summer long, but no damage. And I think it's because I plant almost all of these things in and around the garden that I'm about to list. It's a list, okay? Because these things are really powerful tools. And if you have them, once again, we can interplant these things. And some of them I'm not going to pronounce right, but sweet alyssum, alyssum, alyssum. I like, I can't pronounce some of these things. So just, you know, marigolds, once again, they're back. Cleum, which is a really fascinating plant, by the way, geranium, straw flower, salvia, basil, alliums of any kind. I just rounded it out there. Mint, oregano, snapdragons, poppies, milkweed, peppers, tomatoes, catnip, bee balm, juniper, lavender, and yarrow. All of these are powerful tools and every single one of them is in our garden. Okay. So many of them are also perennials. Okay. And they will come back or they naturally reseed themselves in the fall. So in spring. So most of these things we can put into our garden. And even if you're not putting them into your exact garden bed, putting them in and around the garden area can be a huge protector in keeping these guys out of the garden and into other places. So that is my suggestion. Bunny pests are bunnies, but we can avoid them. And some people even say they don't like sunflowers, but I don't believe that one for an instant because I have seen them eat the little uh, nibble on some of my seedlings. So 
I don't think that's totally true. Maybe they don't like the flowers, but they definitely like the little tender greens. And who wouldn't? They taste great. Um, but needless to say, as you can see, there are tons of ways we can utilize companion plants. We can utilize these things into our garden designs, into our gardens this year, and make a huge impact on issues we had last year. We can learn more. We can create a new design, create a new vision for what our garden is based upon these things. And it doesn't mean we have to use pesticides. It doesn't mean we have to use things that are harmful to the ecosystem. We can use the ecosystem to play to our advantage and to be kind and gentle in this process. So that's hopefully super helpful. And if you're still really curious about how to utilize these things, or you're like, Megan, I just need a companion planting chart. Oh my gosh, this is killing me. Good news. It's in the ultimate garden resources. And I promise that is not the only resource in there that will be incredibly helpful. There's even a chart in there. And mind you, this is also all in the e-course. You get it in the e-course, but that kit full of those tools also has some of the most amazing other tools, like a planting scheduler, a seedling scheduler, a soil temperature chart. What do you direct seed versus you do it as a start or a seed start yourself? Um, I could keep going. It is literally the best toolkit you could possibly have. It solves so many problems that we have day to day with thinking about our garden. So it is super helpful. It's linked in the show notes if you're interested. Until then, my friends, we're going to start into some amazing topics. They're all things that we're covering and talking and discussing in our community. And I'm going to just be focusing on what we're talking about there for the next few months because there are so many great topics that we've been talking about. And I just want to kind of put those out there in front of you guys and kind of give my own response to what people are saying or even share a couple other responses that people gave. So um, to kind of give you a picture of these conversations that we're having, because they're really awesome. <laughs> so I hope that you guys have a lovely day. It is always wonderful to be here with you guys. And I hope this was super helpful. I know it's long, but I know there's a lot of good info, info here. So until then, my friends, I'll see you out there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.